You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. Last week, uh, last Saturday, a week ago, my nephew got married, and uh, he's my nephew, Derek, uh, who works with our teens here at, at Belmar, and he's my nephew on my wife's side. So uh, uh, that means that all of my in-laws came in for the wedding. And when I say all my in-laws, that's, that's a bunch of them. Um, so I had my, my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, uh, my wife's twin sister, their various spouses and children and grandchildren, and my mother and father-in-law all staying at my house uh, last week. So uh, does that make me a saint? Probably. But uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Think about this. My wife has to live with me all the time. Um, but one of the things that happened, and I thought about that as a illustration this morning, is my nephew wanted a cross behind as a backdrop for their wedding. And he said, well, I'm just going to have my uncle build it. Not this uncle, um, but my wife's brother. Because he's a very talented carpenter. And so one afternoon, uh, Derek, my nephew, comes in with some boards and some supplies. And my brother-in-law, Lee, says, okay, can I use your shop? And I said, yeah. And then what proceeded to happen was a little annoying perspective because my brother-in-law took all of my tools and then did something with them that I couldn't have done on my own. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, if he would have done it at his shop, then I'd have been like, well, I don't have all of those tools. But these were my tools that he took and then built this thing and didn't just build it, but like, and, and it wasn't, it was beautiful, but made it look so easy. You know what I mean? Whereas if I would have done that, we would have needed twice the amount of wood because mistakes would have been made. And probably, you know, we'd have had to spend some time in prayer for forgiveness and just asking. I mean, it just would have been, it would have been bad. But he used my very tools to build this thing that I probably, in a way that I couldn't have done myself. And I thought about that because all Derek did was show him a picture. And my brother-in-law, having skills and having experience, instantly understood the processes that needed to take place. He told him what to buy. He began to work and he understood what needed to be done first and second and third in order to accomplish what needed to be accomplished. Now, depending upon your skills, maybe your vocation, your hobbies, you might have certain areas in your life where these things come really natural to you. You know, maybe, maybe you're a baker and so you know that these ingredients go first and then this process takes place and this is how it happens. Maybe it's uh, building something or working on something or whatever it is. 
Maybe it's planning an event and, and you have those processes in mind. But this morning in Romans chapter 10, we're going to see the process that takes place for faith in Jesus Christ. And we ended last week, and so I'm going to go a little out of order on you, Dale, but Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Paul gives us this, this one verse, this sort of singular statement that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he's going to kind of, in verse 14, begin to explain what that process looks like. He says, how then shall they call on him, Romans 10, 14, in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Paul uh, begins to kind of unpack this process. Now, these, this passage here in Romans 10, especially verses 14 through 17, are often used in, uh, in dealing with the idea of missions. That, that People have to be called and they have to be sent and they have to preach and they have to declare. And that application is not incorrect, but it is not the primary application of what Paul is talking about here. Because if you remember what Paul is talking about here, if we go all the way back to Romans 10.1, and we'll not look that up, but he said, my heart's desire is that the nation of Israel would be saved. Like, he's talking about the nation of Israel. He talked about them all in chapter uh, 9, and he's going to talk about them in chapter 11 as well. And, and so he's talking about the nation of Israel and their rejection of God, specifically their rejection of God's son Jesus, whom, whom was sent by the Father to be the Messiah that was promised. And so he says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he said, look, this is the process that takes place. And it was the process that had taken place for the nation of Israel, as we'll, as we'll see this morning. But it also has application for us. So the first thing that we see there is, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? And so we see this process, but I think it's important that we kind of define a couple of terms. And specifically, I want to define the term preacher. Um, if you ask me, what, how, describe what I do or whatever, I'll say things like, well, I pastor but more than anything, I do like to think of myself as a preacher. I like to preach. And that word preach simply means the declaration of the truth. That's what the term preach means. 
Now, maybe I like to, that term preacher better than pastor because sometimes I don't think I'm as good at caring for folks as I should be. I, I try to be, and I, I love the people here at Belmar, but uh, one of the things in our Constitution, if you go to Discover Belmar next week, which I would encourage you to do if, if you've been attending here a while and, and, or even just a short time would like to learn more about the church, you can sign up for that, as Logan mentioned. But in our Constitution, it says that one of the jobs as pastor is to tenderly care for the flock. And I have a couple of guys in our, in our church who, who if, you know, sometimes I'll say something to them, they're like, tenderly caring for the flock. And then I'll just take a stick and hit them and say, sometimes that's what shepherds do too. <laughs> Not really. I don't do that. I think it, but I don't do it. But that word preacher means the one who declares the truth. And certainly, that is what I attempt to do on Sunday mornings. But you don't have to be on stage in front of a congregation to be a preacher. Matter of fact, I think Scripture's clear that all of us are to be preachers. Because all of us are to be those who declare the truth. Jesus said in Acts chapter one and verse eight, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. A witness is one who simply declares what has happened to them. But even a witness, when he stands up in court, he swears to what? Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? And so we are all to be witnesses. We are all to be preachers. We're to be those who declare the truth. Now, that might take a lot of different forms. That might take the form of, of someone speaking in church, but sometimes that takes the form of just sharing with a friend the truth of God's word. Maybe it, 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 it just takes the form, it can take the form of, of a coworker or a neighbor, a coach or, or, or a family member, whatever that is. But we are to be those who declare the truth. And he talks about the idea of, of hearing and sending. And we, we talk about that in, in relation to the idea of missionaries, that we, as, 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 a, as a congregation, we give to missions and we support missionaries so that they can go into other parts of the world and declare the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that maybe we can't go to or, or, or aren't going to. Because we, one of, you know, as individuals, we can't go everywhere. And so we are involved in missions in that way, and we should be. But it's important to understand that just because we send doesn't mean we don't have to preach. Just because we support missionaries doesn't mean we don't tell people that we come into contact with each and every day as we go along in our lives. And then 
one thing I really want us to mine or get out of this passage is verses 16 and 17. He says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He talks, he talks about a preacher that would declare the truth and one that would be one that would send him. But he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word is the basis for the truth we proclaim and for the faith that we have and that we seek to share with others. I was thinking about this this week and, and thinking about just our Christian life and, and, and preaching and, and different things. And, and one of the things, you know, people say, well, being a follower of Jesus, it's more than just, you know, reading your Bible and praying. And that is true. There, there's more to it than that. But I think that reading our Bible and praying are two like very simple, elementary, fundamental things that we often forget the power that those things have. That through prayer, we have the opportunity to, to directly communicate with Almighty God. And through the scriptures, we have God's word making an impact in our heart. How can we declare the truth if we don't know what the truth is? And do we ever live in a world where the truth is hard to find? I mean, it used to be, well, if you read it in a book, or if you saw it in a newspaper, or if some you know, trusted source gave it to you, what in the world's even a trusted source anymore? I mean, you literally, you can turn on the television and go to a, a news channel of your choice to hear what you want to hear. What's truth? Well, it's not that one, it's this one, is it? Because they all have agendas, don't they? And as followers of Jesus Christ, we can go to the Bible, we can go to God's word and know that it is truth. Know that it is, it is, is what God says for us. And having the truth allows us to share the truth. Listen to what Psalm 19 says, beginning in verse number seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your, servants is, your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great 
reward. More to be desired are they than gold. Do we value God's word more than money? Yeah, we should. But do we? I mean, we, we as American Christians have a ridiculous excess of abundance when it comes to God's word. Because there are people who don't have a copy of God's word in their written language, and we get to pick a variety of versions to choose from. You can download a free app on your phone that has, I don't know, at least 20 different English versions of the Bible. And it's all, I mean, you can get a copy in the hotel room. We have copies left at church all the time. More to be desired are they than gold. God's word is, is what guides us, what directs us, what changes us. It's how God, through his Holy Spirit, God uses his word to reveal our weaknesses, to reveal the direction that he wants us to go in life, to, to show us what he wants us to be and do. And yet, I think so oftentimes we neglect God's word. God's word is the basis for, for truth being declared. It's why, and, and sometimes, you know, Dale is running our, our video this morning. I appreciate him, and we have other folks who do that, that when I go to a scripture, they put it up on the screen. Now, if you were to go up there and you were to look at the, at the, at the outline for this morning, there's like this song, this song, we sang four songs this morning. And then there's the scripture. And there's, and this morning's a, a pretty short outline. There's probably 12 scriptures. And some weeks, it's worse. There's like 20. And sometimes whoever's running it will come and look at it, and I can just see their face like, whew, here we go. And I understand that not everybody preaches that way, but I'll tell you why I preach that way. Because I'm not sure that what I have to say is really worth listening to. But I'm absolutely confident that God's word is truth and is worth our attention. And as much of that as, as I can try to get out in a message, that's what I want to do. Because it's truth. It's, it's what we need to put in us. It's what we need. Listen, when we talk about sharing the gospel, being a preacher, the first thing is we go, well, I, I, don't, I don't feel adequate to do that. Like, I don't have all the answers, and, and I don't know if I can do that. Listen, you don't have to. I mean, you do have to do that. But you know the best thing we can do is direct people to the truth. Just share with them God's word. That's what has power, not our words, not our intelligence, not our logic, not our arguments. It's God's word. It's God's word that brings about our faith, that strengthens our faith. It should be the basis for all that we do. 
And then he goes on in Romans chapter 10. And he talks some more about the nation of Israel. But I say, verse 18, have they not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy for those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. I want to unpack a little bit about what he says in these verses. I think we've talked about this before, but what Paul is really saying here, it's, it's, I think, very difficult for us to understand how radical what he is saying is. Because the disciples of Jesus Christ were all Jewish men. Jesus was a Jewish man. Salvation came to the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen people. And now Paul is writing to a church that is not predominantly Jewish. Matter of fact, and we talked about this at the beginning of our study in Romans, but the church at Rome, like most churches in the, in the first century there, started with Jews or those who were more familiar with the Jewish religion, and then people began to receive Christ. But what happened in the city of Rome was the Jews were all run out of Rome. And yet the church continued and it grew and it expanded. And now some Jews had come back into the church, but this was a, this was a radical thing because there was even a discussion at time was, do you first have to become Jewish before you can become a Christian? Now, we don't necessarily have those ideas, but so to the Jews, this was a radical thing, that the gospel was coming to the Gentiles, that anybody could receive Christ, and they didn't have to be a Jew or become a Jew in order to receive Jesus in order to have faith in God. And so Paul continues to unpack this. And the first thing that he says is, Israel is guilty. But I say to you, have they not heard? Right? Paul talked about the process. How will they hear except for a preacher? How will they believe unless they hear? So had Israel heard? And he said, yes, indeed. And he quotes from Psalm 19. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So Israel had heard. They understood, or they didn't understand, but they had been given the message. They should have been prepared for the Messiah. They should have been looking for Jesus. But instead, because it didn't happen exactly in the way they expected, they rejected. Thank goodness that never happens to us, right? As a pastor working with people, one of the most difficult things is to see people 
be disappointed in the way God chooses to work in their life. Because for some of us, we, we have a plan. This is how we want God to work. I want God to do this thing or that thing. And, 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 and we, we become frustrated when God doesn't work exactly the way we want him to. Man, I think about my own life. I think about different twists and turns that, that, that God has, has made. And, and even, like, I find myself at this point in my life. Like, I look back and think, you know, there was a time, and I've shared this before, but I came to work at this church, my home church, right out of college. And just a few years into it, I got fired. I got fired from, from here. Some of you are like, I see it. Sure. But it was, it was hurtful. It was harmful. And I think about different things that we went through as a, as a family. Excuse me. Things in my own life. And I, and, but yet, I see God working and bringing those things about and how God is using them. And even now, my wife and I, we've got one child left at home. She's got a few years left in school. And I've got a couple of kids that are married. And I'm like, I wonder what my life's going to look like in 10 years. Like, am I going to have grandkids? I don't know. I try not to put pressure on my kids. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, grandkids look pretty cool. You know? And, and you know, what, I mean, how, what, what's my life going to be like? Am I going to, you know, am I going to retire? When am I going to retire? What, just all kinds of things, you know? And yet, I don't know. I have, I have ideas. Most of those ideas have to do with the boat and the beach. And, um, you know, some of the, lots of money. But what if God doesn't work out just that way? What if instead of growing old in, in, in great health, God chooses to, to, to give me a, a physical ailment that, that, that I don't want? What if instead of financial security, something happens that takes that away? Will I still trust him? Will I still walk by faith? What happens when God doesn't work the way we want him to work? That's what happened with the nation of Israel. They were under Roman occupation and they wanted the Messiah to come and free them from the Romans. And instead, Jesus came and freed the world from sin. But they were still under Roman occupation. They had heard they were guilty, but they didn't see. And then because of that, God used that, and grace came to the Gentiles. But I say, Romans 10, 19, did Israel not know? First, Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. That foolish nation, that's us. That's non-Jews. That's the Gentiles. We're the foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest in those 
who did not ask for me. And we talked about this last time, how that, um, the, the Jews had the law and they, they knew God, they worshiped God, they sought to please him. The Gentiles, they had false gods, they had all kinds of gods and yet the gospel came to them too. Acts chapter 11 is a great illustration of this. Now the apostles and brethren, Acts 11 verse one, who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended or fought with him, saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, this is this, this gathering that takes place of Christian leaders. And Peter, this apostle, had been given a vision He'd been, and he, he explains the vision later in Acts chapter 11, how God had laid out for him these animals, and Peter in the vision is hungry, and so he says, kill these things and cook them, eat them. But they're unclean. And Peter's like, I can't do that. Why? Because he was a Jew. And then what comes out of that vision is, don't call unclean what I have made clean. Because what happened was, Peter went in and he declared Jesus to these non-Jews. They received Christ and the Holy Spirit came upon them and it was evidence to everybody that was around. Peter goes back and reports it, reports about it, and these people are mad and what do they say? You ate with non-Jews. You went into their house and shared a meal. Now to us, that doesn't sound like all that big a deal. But to the Jews, that was big. Because when you ate with someone, you identified with them. You fellowshiped with them. This was a, this was a public display of, of relationship, of friendship. And so they are contending with Peter. They're upset with Peter because he has done this. He relates to them his vision. And then in verse 15, Peter said this, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall baptize with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Listen, this was the first time that some of these guys were like, Gentiles can be saved. Like, these people can actually be forgiven of their sin and spend eternity in heaven just like I can. And to read that kind of seems humorous almost. But then I think, are there not people in our life that we would never say it, but we act like they're beyond redemption? You know what I'm saying? I mean, 
There are people that we look at in this world and we just say, oh, those people are too far gone. Those people are evil. Those people are wicked. Those people have turned from God. They're never gonna be saved. That's how the Jews looked at the Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, Peter's like, man, the Holy Spirit is coming upon them. And they're like, I guess Gentiles can be saved too. And how does God want to use us to see the gospel go to those who seem so far away from him? I was thinking about this this week because sometimes it's easy to go, well, those people, the people that are different than me, that are think opposite me, that have different values than I do, those people have rejected the things of God. But what does Paul say over and over? He said, the people that weren't even looking for me found me. The people that didn't even realize they needed me, I came to them. And we live in a world where I think there are all kinds of people that are looking in so many various ways for fulfillment, for completion, for what they can find in Jesus Christ and they don't even realize that's what they need. And yet God desires to manifest himself, to show himself mighty in their life and he's looking for people who will be sent, who will declare the truth. I recognize that we live in a world of evil where we celebrate what is wrong, but can I tell you, God desires to penetrate that sin, to penetrate that darkness, and to make a transformation. He's going to take someone who is on the road to hell and put them on the road to heaven. He's going to take someone who is dead and make them alive, someone who is blind and give them sight. This is what our God does. He's done it in us if we know him as Savior. And as long as there is a, a heartbeat... In someone, they are not beyond the redemptive power of God. And I think sometimes it's so easy for us to look at the wickedness in this world and just wring our hands and, and, and think, we just don't know what to do. Listen, we have the truth. And God desires for that truth to penetrate hearts and minds. It's the good news. It's the gospel. The gospel means good news. And we have the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 21 says, but to Israel he says all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. Paul kind of lays out this case, and we just sort of skimmed it this morning. But if you look in depth, he uses these quotes from Isaiah and the other prophets, and he says, look, Israel's guilty. I mean, they, they had the truth, they had heard the truth, but they rejected the truth. And yet, in Romans chapter 10, 21, 
what Paul says here is that God extends his hand. God is constantly reaching out to a, to a people that maybe don't always hear him. They're disobedient. They're contrary. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 is the passage I want us to close with this morning. And I've used it a few times as we've gone through the book of Romans. It says earlier in this passage that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day with the Lord. And then he says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When we look around this world, when we see wickedness celebrated, when it seems like evil is rampant and good is diminishing, it's easy for us to wring our hands and to, and to say, you know, this just seems like it's hopeless. But it's important to understand that this is a result of the patience of God. And when I think about that attribute of God, his patience, his long-suffering, man, I'm glad he's that way. I mean, not for you. I don't care about you at all. I'm talking about me. I do care about you. I'm just kidding. But you know when I mess up? And I'm not talking about I mess up in like a new way that I didn't know I was going to mess up. But I'm talking about when I mess up in the same old way I've messed up a time and time again. Like, and you go to God and you're like, I don't even know if I could ask you to forgive me because I feel like uh, it just feels disingenuous because I've asked you before and I've said I'm not going to do this again, but then I do it again. Some of you are like, I don't understand that at all, preacher. You seem to have a problem. Well, yeah. But God is long-suffering towards us. He's patient towards us. And I thank God that he is. But he's also patient and long-suffering to others as well. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we have the good news. How can they hear? How can they believe unless they hear? And how can they hear unless one declares the truth? So let us be those who declare the truth, who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even this week, I would challenge you to take the truth to those who need to hear, to take the light into the darkness and see how God won't use that to transform hearts and lives. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And God, I, I pray that we would be men and women of the word, 
that we would read your word, that we would memorize your word, we would meditate upon it, and that it would come out in our conversation and in our thoughts. And God, I pray that we would take your word and we would share it with those who we work with, who we socialize with, who we come in contact with, that we would be preachers, those who declare your truth. Thank you, God, for your word. Help us to apply it to our lives this week. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.